All right. So this is a kind of, we're going to call it like a bonus episode for some out of the box. I, Dominic Latella, the normal host here, uh, gets to actually talk to kind of a longtime friend of ours at Swimbox, Kevin. Oh, I've already messed up how to pronounce your last name. Pronounce your last name, Kevin. <laughs> it rhymes with your name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's Koskella. <laughs> Koskella. <laughs> so Kevin is sort of the mind behind Tri Swim Coach. He has a wealth of knowledge about swimming in general and especially applying it to triathlon. But I really wanted to talk to Kevin today because he's done something really cool. You just did, would you call it a marathon swim? How far was it? <laughs> yeah, I did a thing. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what a marathon swim is actually. I think there is like a minimum distance that is considered a marathon swim, but it's, I think it's like maybe 5K or maybe it's 10K. I'm not sure. But the one that I did was 6.5K. So it's sort of in the middle. Which sounds entirely too long for me personally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was really fascinated by it because as a, as a coach, I have a really hard time getting up and training for something myself because I spend so much time sort of giving a lot to other people. Right. So I, I just thought it was really cool that you've dedicated yourself to doing this, the six K and, and I can only imagine what it felt like to get back into this thing. So what sort of like motivated you or inspired you to do this? Oh yeah, that's a really good question. So I had a shoulder injury and that shoulder injury lasted for, it was probably, let's see, 2013, I was training in Boulder, Colorado with a bunch of pro triathletes and I was pretty much keeping up with them. So it was all the names that you've heard, the Ironman guys and all that. And it was that summer and I was like, I was in, I was getting in great shape it, just in like three months. I was, I went from like not being at all in swimming shape to being in great shape. And I felt like, this is cool. And then after that, I decided to quit swimming. I don't know why I just, I moved back to San Diego after that. And I just was like, oh, I'm kind of done with swimming for now. And meanwhile, I got this thing called frozen shoulder. So I've always had shoulder problems since I was like 19 and it's been off and on throughout the years, like I'll get, I'll have a, a little like tendonitis in my shoulder and then I'll do some exercises and then eventually it goes away and then it comes back and it goes away. And it's like this, I feel like it's, it's just always going to be, I'm always going to have some level of tendonitis or bursitis or whatever you want to call it in my left shoulder. Mm -hmm. And so then it, it got from, that was the end of 2013. It started getting worse and worse and worse. And I was doing, I started doing all of the rehab you could think of chiropractor, massage, like yoga every other day, you know, like everything I could, I did acupuncture. I mean, I did everything and it was not at all getting better. It was just getting, and I, and I wasn't swimming at all because I thought the last thing I want to do is swim right now. Cause that was probably what aggravated it in the first place. But what I found is that being inactive was what was making it worse. Not like the swim itself. Yeah. I mean, I probably was going to have some level of shoulder problems, but it was the more being inactive. And so I spent like two years, well, maybe more than that. Yeah, probably more than that. We're like three years kind of chasing these different rehabilitation methodologies and yeah. just kind of having maybe a little bit of uh, relief in some areas, but then it would always go back and I'd have this shoulder problem. So then it was somewhere, I think around 2016, I heard this podcast and it was um, Joe Rogan was interviewing this guy, like an older athlete dude. He was like 63 five years old. And they started talking about somehow it got on the topic of shoulder injuries. And this guy said, Oh yeah, I have, I've had this shoulder that, that kind of comes and goes. And 
is sometimes it can get to the point where I can't really exercise. But then all I do when I start feeling that tightness and that pain, all I do is uh, just hang from a bar and then it goes away. And I'm like, what? This sounds insanely simple. So sure enough, like I, I started doing this hanging from a bar and I started with just like 20 seconds and then I built up to, you know, like a minute and then two minutes of hanging. And sure enough, my shoulder started getting, it went from like, they basically couldn't raise my arm over my head to feeling like way less pain and being able to do pretty much anything I wanted. And this was all in a matter of just a couple of weeks. And nice. so, yeah. So taking all that time off of swimming and then just suddenly being better, it was like, it was like a miracle. I mean, it was so, it was <laughs> such an amazing feeling. Yeah, but Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and it was just such a simple thing, uh, you know, after spending all that money and time and stressing about it and all that, then all of a sudden I'm just like, oh, I just hang from a bar. So yeah, so I started getting better. And then that summer I started doing more and more swimming and um, I felt like I wanted to get back into swimming. And then it was that fall. So it was fall of 2018. I um, heard about the swim. My, my partner, Oz, my business partner, he um, is from Turkey and he told me about this swim that's in Istanbul in the Bosphorus Strait. And I saw the video they did for the swim, like the preview video, and it just looked mm -hmm. incredible. And I'm like, okay, I got to do this. Like, I got to just, and it's in the summer. So this is like December, I found out about it. And I'm like, this is something I, I just feel it right. in my bones. Like, I got to do this race <laughs> somehow. So I got pretty lucky because they put it for sale and it, and it sells out in like an hour. So I, I got super lucky and I got in and then there's all this paperwork and stuff because it, it's run by the Turkish government because it's an Olympic, like it's part of the Olympic committee or something. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. So that's kind of why, that's kind of why I got it, uh, decided to do it. Okay. Well, and just also so people understand a little bit more about you. When I think of the word wonderlust, I also think of you. <laughs> <laughs> You're somebody that is always traveling, always adventuring and always like kind of doing something different. I ever like, I have no idea where you are right now. I never know where I'm talking <laughs> to you. It's always like, Oh, I'm over here now. I'm in this time zone now. Yeah. So it kind of makes a lot of sense that you would be drawn to this type of uh, race experience. Speaking of the race experience, was this your sort of first open water, long distance race like this? outside of like triathlon or anything? No, it wasn't my first. Um, I used to, so for a while I, I did some competitions in open water and, um, I did the one mile. I, I like, I would just find locally any one mile races in the summer. And I just do, I, I did a bunch of those. And then I, at one point I did the Alcatraz swim. Oh yeah. Alcatraz to San Francisco and, yeah. um, nice and cold. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast, but it, yes, you can. Okay, fucking cold. <laughs> we do all I mean, it was fucking cold. Like I've never experienced anything like that, and it it was like part of the challenge of that race. A huge part of the challenge was the cold, and then the chop, the the waves. Like it's really wavy, so you can't really see much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I actually did wear a sleeveless wetsuit, and this is why I'm not. I'm anti-sleeveless wetsuits because I got out of the water and I had hypothermia. Just even thinking of hypothermia makes you stutter. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what happens when you have hypothermia is mm -hmm. you start losing control. Like you can't really think straight and you can't, and I couldn't speak, I couldn't say a word. So anyway, that was one of my first like big events like that. And I, so I got out and I was sitting in the shower in the hot shower and the sauna and I was shivering. 
So it was not like the best ending. I mean, the, during the race, I felt fine. It was kind of fun, but once I got out, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. I'll pass on that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so with the Turkey swim, was it a uh, wetsuit? No wetsuit. What was the water temp like? Yeah. Um, it was no wetsuit because it's like an official open water swim. So it was right. uh, no wetsuits allowed. And the temperature was around, let's see, they said it was about 23 Celsius. So that's probably like 71, Whoa. I think something like that, 72. But it felt a little bit colder than that. I would say it was probably around 69 Fahrenheit. That seems really cold. Yeah, I mean, so once you get going and it's just kind of the thrill and the excitement of it, it wasn't bad at all. I mean, I think if I was just like a training swim, I would have felt a little bit colder, but I, I didn't really notice it and, you know, most of the time. I think what I did notice is there was a lot of jellyfish in the water. Actually, the first part of the race, we were all swimming through the, this huge pack of jellyfish. And um, luckily, they were not the kind of jellyfish that actually sting you. They just kind of float along and they don't have any, apparently, they don't really have any ability to hurt people. And the reason I found out, because I, when I was training, I was actually training in Bulgaria in the Black Sea. And it's the same, kind of the same water. And I found out that the, the all the jellyfish there, the water has been overfished. So the jellyfish are like on the top of the food chain. So nothing eats them. So they don't, they lost their ability to defend themselves. So it's, yeah, it's pretty funny. Interesting. Yeah. It's a little side note. Bringing up the sea life actually is a really good topic to talk about because mm -hmm. it seems like the things that people are most concerned about when doing open water swims is water temperature, deep water, and then sea life. And I yeah. actually think sea life, more people are concerned about more than anything. Obviously, there's bigger sea life than jellyfish out there that can do some serious harm to you. Did that ever cross your mind or did you ever have to like think like, don't focus on that or anything at all? Yeah, that's a good topic. I actually do have some of those fears myself. And especially like I used to swim a lot in La Jolla and San Diego and yeah. there was definitely sharks there. I mean, there are so many people that go swim out there in the summer that you just kind of almost feel like power in numbers, but there's definitely sharks that swim around out there. They just don't, it's like, it's so incredibly uncommon that a shark would attack a person in La Jolla. There's only been one, like, I think there's only been one shark attack ever and it was a diver and it was a, a total fluke. But I, every time I got out there, I would think about it. I would think, yeah, right below me somewhere down there, there's some sharks or there's at least, you know, one or two. So yeah, it, it's a common fear. It's a legitimate fear. Yeah, there's monsters out there, right? Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. monsters for sure. Yeah, I, so. I did a lot of research. And the reason I went to Bulgaria is that um, I was, well, I was going to Europe and I was trying to find a place that I could swim in Europe that didn't have any like, you know, sharks or anything like that. And that, that didn't have anything that could hurt me that also had good, decent water temperature and, and all that. So I picked uh, the Black Sea because it has, it kind of, kind of checks all the boxes. It was like, 75 degrees in the water and the only thing out there were jelly these little tiny jellyfish and they don't do anything so right so what i do is when i'm out there swimming in the open water and i even experienced it when i was swimming in the black sea i experienced some fear when i got out there because nobody else was swimming i mean every morning when i went out there i was the only person swimming out as far as i did so it felt very strange because i'm in i'm like i'm in the sea you know it's like i usually swim in ocean or the pool, but I'm in the sea. This is so weird. So 
what I would do every time is I'd start counting my strokes. Nice. I just count my strokes and that takes my mind, it puts my mind on my actual stroke. And then I, then I start thinking about technique and I'm not, I'm focused much more on myself and not on my, like all the things that are possibly going on around me. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. I think by the way, for all fears, right? So when we, yeah. when I teach someone how to swim for the first time, I ask them to count when they put their face under the water, if they're afraid to be under the water, right. it just distracts you. So that's actually, that's really amazing. That's like across the board counting works. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was teaching that within the tri swim success course. We have a, another course called open water swim success. And that's one of the things that we teach is, you know, just when you're in a race, there's so much going on that counting your strokes is so beneficial for that, for just being able to like, if for me, it's the present, it's that, it's that capsule of the present. Like you want to be, you want to be as present as you possibly can when you're doing a, a race or an open water swim. And that's what I did in this Bosphorus swim is I just, I counted like right from the very beginning, I started counting my strokes because it was so, there was so much excitement and there were so many people diving into the water and, you know, just like any open water race, you've got people all around you and people are kicking and touching and pushing and whatever. And, and so I just started counting and I, I remember I got, I got up to 1400, 1400 and I was like, okay, oh I, my can, God. <laughs> I was like, I can, I can stop. I don't need to keep going now. <laughs> so, so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to like 10 yeah. and then starting all over again. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was, I was determined to keep that count going. That's really funny. Uh, that's really funny. <laughs> so with that race, since it was kind of a, I would say a higher caliber open water race. What it doesn't sound like a local open water race, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Were there competitors there or athletes there that kind of applied open water race strategy? Do you know what I mean by that? And in, in comparing it to like a lot of triathlons, there's so many beginners that sort of open water strategy kind of falls to the wayside. There's not enough people to participate in strategy. Right. But it sounds like this race, maybe you had an, an opportunity to kind of draft or at least use people successfully. I didn't myself. I, I didn't notice any. I mean, there, it's funny because there was like there was two groups of people and they sent off. So I was in the older group. I don't even know what the cutoff was, but I was in the old people group. And <laughs> then there was the younger, the younger ones. And there was two boats that went out. So you, you take a boat up to the start. And then um, the old older people go first and then the young people go after them, which is kind of funny. And then it's like, you're getting passed by people at some point. And uh, even like I was even getting passed maybe halfway through or maybe three quarters of the way through, I was, people were passing me, but there was no, for me, there was no opportunity to, you know, getting any kind of drag off of anyone else. I felt like I was in the top group of my older group and okay. most of the people I lost kind of early on, I was assuming next to a few people, and I could kind of see them for a little while. And then I lost them. And then the, the faster people started passing me, maybe three or four people passed me. And I kept up with them for a little while. And then I completely lost them. And then I was kind of like 100% alone. I didn't see anybody around me. I don't know what happened. I took a, a slightly off course somehow. I got a little bit like I was going a slightly the wrong way. And then everyone else was going right and I was going straight. And so that was my only complaint about the whole race is that I have no idea how that happened. I'm like, cause I was sighting. I was like, I had everything figured out and I, I felt like I was following people, but then they somehow went a different direction. I didn't see them. And, but yeah, as far as strategy goes, because it was like a straight, it's like this really wide uh, river and 
people were swimming down the middle of it. There wasn't a lot of contact really compared to like a triathlon where you're like gunning for that first buoy and people were right. excited to get around that first buoy. It wasn't like that because there was nothing. It was just straight down the middle of the, of the straight. Huh? Interesting. So when you did sort of realize you made a mistake by going slightly the wrong direction, what was your course of action to correct it? Because this is a conversation that I have with a lot of intermediate, even beginner open water swimmers where they almost overcorrect in that they see a buoy, they realize maybe they're off to the left to the buoy. And so they almost like do a, a sharp right hand turn to get back in line with the buoy versus gradually getting back on course. Yeah. So how did you correct? Yeah. Well, the first thing that I did because my ego, I kind of checked it on the boat and I don't, I'm not worried about time. I have no, I didn't even know what kind of time I was even expecting to get. So I stopped completely, just treaded water and reoriented myself because I really didn't know. I had no idea how I could have lost like all the people that I was kind of following. I don't even I was like, wait, they were right in front of me. Now they're gone. Now they're not even, I'm looking right in front of me and there's nobody there. I'm looking to my left. There's nobody there. And right, there's nobody there. So I just stopped. I treaded water and I'm like, Hey, where am I? Where's the finish line? Cause it was, I was getting to the point where I was like, I know I'm getting close to that finish line, but I don't mm -hmm. see it when I was, when I was doing my sighting, I didn't see the finish line. I was like, okay, it's here somewhere. So I just stopped completely you know, taking a couple of deep breaths, you know, not trying to hurry. And then I saw it and it was, it was basically a straight shot. Like I went, I had to go directly right to get to it. That was what I was, I had gone. If I went any further, I would have been past the finish line. So I had to go like perpendicular it. to it, to get to it. So, but I, I felt, I felt like I was, you know, when you're in a, a race and you shift gears, you're like, okay, now I'm going to turn on the turbo burners. Right. Like I never, I never did that at all in this race. I was just cruising. I was, I was making sure that my stroke was, my technique was solid and I was making sure my elbows were up high and all that. And I wasn't even like, I never thought about like, oh, I need to go fast. So I felt like at the end, I had plenty of energy to get back to where I needed to be. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good thing for people to kind of hear. I think a lot of people are so fixated on making sure they sight perfectly, they swim perfectly, they're going the right pace where it's almost, you put in the training, you're going to do what you, you're going to do. So enjoy it while you're out there. And I, I really like that, that attitude and mentality about it. Yeah. It's not, it's not all about making sure you've done everything exactly right. Right. So I can appreciate that. Actually, I really do actually appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I actually did that early in the swim. There's this uh, bridge that we swim under that goes over the strait. And that was sort of like maybe maybe only like a tenth of the way into the swim. And I flipped over onto my back and I did backstroke under the bridge because I wanted to appreciate the moment. Like I was like, I'm in the fucking nice. Bosphorus <laughs> Strait. Like this is awesome. And I'm, and I'm under this ridiculous bridge, huge bridge. And I'm like, I'm just going to like, just make sure I'm like being present here and not thinking about like, oh, I need to, you know, go faster. And so I did like, I did a little bit of backstroke and I was like, cool, that was awesome. Nice. I, I really like that. So how much time did you actually get to spend in Turkey before the race? I got there on Friday and the swim is Sunday. And the problem that I was having is that Istanbul has the best food in the world and it's cheap. It's dirt cheap. So I was like, I mean, I would go out to a restaurant and 
I just had to like try to restrain myself from not overeating because right. that, that, that is a problem. I've had that before where you're kind of tapered because I was like Friday and Saturday, I didn't exercise. I didn't swim at all. I didn't do anything because I, I didn't really have time. There was nowhere to swim. So I was just like, I'm resting now. And I've had that problem before where, you, you know, when you're tapering for a race and then you keep eating the same amount of calories and the same amount, you know, like all the right. stuff. And then you feel like crap on the day of the race. So I was, I was kind of stressing about that because I was like, <laughs> man, this food is so good and I, I have to like restrain. But I think I did pretty good up until after the race. And then I just went hog wild. <laughs> <laughs> good job with the restraint. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I actually, a couple of years ago, I was wearing a whoop strap to kind of like track my sleep habits mostly. And one of the things I kind of learned about myself was if I overate, my recovery was terrible. I yeah. slept poorly. I didn't come back from, you know, not even working out. I just never really kind of did well if I overate in general. Yeah. And it's so easy to do that, especially when you're in Istanbul and you're like, all I want is this food and I can afford all the food. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I can literally buy all the food here. <laughs> so I want to. Yeah. And as a swimmer, I understand how hard that is. I don't know, like if you didn't grow up a swimmer, I think it's hard for people to understand that there's like this weird thing that happens where you're kind of trained and conditioned as a kid to eat as much as possible because you're always hungry from swimming. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that stops in your life sometime, you know, college or after college and you still eat the same and it's really hard to break that. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I could definitely appreciate the restraint that you were demonstrating. <laughs> Was there anything in particular training wise that you focused on in the pool to get ready for a six K because that's, that's hard to train for. Yeah. Um, I, because I'd never done anything this distance before, I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't research. I mean, I'm, I'm a swim coach, so I kind of, you know, I train triathletes right. and all that. So I kind of know, you know, basically what to do, but I haven't really trained for anything this distance and I haven't trained anyone else for any, any distance like this. So I was pretty much winging it. And so I was actually doing, I started in San Diego and I was doing, um, just lap swimming for a while. And then I started adding in some interval training, doing hundreds like on the 130 and stuff like that. And then, and then I moved over to Taiwan and I was in Taiwan for a month. So it was the month of June. I was in, I was in Taipei mostly. And, uh, <laughs> it was really, really hard to train because they have a lot of pools there actually in the city and they're all like really cheap. You can just pay, it's like maybe a dollar or something to use the pool. But the problem is the pools are all heated, like they're all super warm. Right. So I was trying to train, like, I was like, oh, I need to get, by the time I'm leaving here, I need to be up around 3,500 meters. And I wasn't even close to that because every time I get in the pool, I was like sweating to death, you know, practically. <laughs> and then they also have this strange thing where, well, first of all, you have to wear a, a swim cap. No matter how long your hair, short your hair is, you have to wear a swim cap. So that makes it even hotter because I'm wearing this swim right. cap. And then everybody seems to love, be in love with breaststroke there. Yes. Yeah. So they, they have these, you know, they have the slow lane, the medium lane and the fast lane. And you get in the fast lane and about 90% of the people in the fast lane are doing breaststroke. <laughs> it's like, 
So this is the fast lane. Every single time I swam there, that's what I encountered. I'm like, okay, so nobody is actually going fast. So I was swimming over people and around people. And so the most I got uh, like accomplished there was like 2000 meters in one session. I couldn't do more than that. It was just too frustrating. Yeah. I felt like I had to leave there. And that's why I ended up going to Bulgaria. And I was thinking when I was going to, um, it's, the city is called Varna. When I was going there, I did some research and I'm like, okay, I'm going to live a little bit outside the city by the beach so I can just go right into the water in the morning. And that was pretty awesome. I mean, I was able to do open water swimming like any day of the week, just right there at my, you know, at my feet. But I was expecting to be able to do some pool swimming as well. And I never... I never found a pool in the city. So I, there was one like awesome pool, but they never, there was never open for lap swimming. So anyway, that was my training <laughs> was strictly just swimming in the open water. And uh, nice. yeah, so I, I spent a lot of time just, just going back and forth. There was this kind of like area, there was a light, uh, what do you call it? A light tower, light post? Light post. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just swim out to that and then back and then out and back. And I just do it by time. And I try to swim for like 30 minutes and, you know, I'd feel pretty good after that. And so that's really all I did. I didn't take it too seriously because I felt like my stroke technique was getting better with every swim. And even though my endurance was not where I thought it needed to be, my technique was just, it just felt really good, like really solid. Cause I can tell, you know, at this point I can just tell, like, I know when I'm off and I I know when things are slipping and my my arms are dropping and all that. And I know when it, when it feels right. And I was like, yeah, I'm not swimming. I'm not swimming 6K out here. I'm swimming like maybe 2K at the most, but it feels like I could go forever. You know, like that's that, it's that feeling of like, right. yeah, I could just keep doing this, but I'm not going to because I want to, <laughs> I want to get on with my day, you know? Right. Uh, so your advice to people wanting to do these longer open water swims would be move to the Black Sea, uh, <laughs> find a beach house somewhere that you can just get in the ocean. Is yeah, that your advice then? But only in the summer. Like it, I think it gets pretty cold there like past like, uh, you know, September. It probably would not be a good idea. But yeah, I mean, it is cool to have the open water right there available to you. I think that is it's super helpful. Nice. But I mean, you can get a lot done in a pool and I, and I love like 50 meters is so much better than 25 yards or 25 meters. It's like, yes, to me, that's like, that's way closer to open, like open water swimming than, than swimming back and forth in, in a 25, you know, meter pool or something. So yeah. 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 I'd say as far as advice goes, it's just kind of as much as you can uh, with open water, but most of the triathletes that I coach are sort of more beginner level and they need, they need pool time. I mean, they need to be right. fully working on their strokes and, and, you know, not worry too much about open water, but just getting the experience of being in the open water and overcoming the fears and all the things that go with that. Yes. With the open water swim, was there any nutrition that you needed to like adhere to before the race? You didn't feed during the race, right? For a 6K? Yeah, no. It, it's funny because I when I was in Varna, when I was in uh, Bulgaria, I ran into this this American guy on the beach and we were chatting and he's like, oh yeah, I used to, um, he's like, I do some open water swims and he's like, I've done a 10K and I'm like, really? Wow, that's Ooh. great. And I'm like, uh, like, and then we start talking about food and He's like, yeah. So, you know, are you going to feed on the swim? I'm like, no, I like, there's not, there's no way. I'm like, this is just a straight shot. Like uh, there's no way I'm, I'm eating anything. And he's like, wow. See, he's like, I need all these gels and stuff to keep going. I'm like, no, I think it's yeah, pretty much just eat uh, like a breakfast in the morning. And then, so for me, that was about maybe two hours before I actually swam was, or maybe three, maybe even three hours. Mm-hmm. 
that was the one thing I was stressing about because I I don't know. I've never done anything this long. So I, I was like, well, how do I eat in the morning so that I'm not like stuffed, you know, where I'm like feeling it. But then again, I need, I need energy. I can't just be like hungry the whole time. So I'm a low carber. So I, I generally eat pretty low carbs. Yeah. And that, that's kind of how I eat like on a regular basis for the morning of the swim. I had, so they had this breakfast buffet and it was, it's amazing. I mean, Turkish breakfast buffet. It was like everything you could imagine with like little sweet desserts and all this stuff. But, but I stuck with, um, they had hard boiled eggs. So I had a couple of, uh, like hard boiled eggs. I had a little bit of this, like, um, these dried apricots and, um, I had some raisins and just like a little bit of carbs. And then I think I had like, uh, some olives and, and stuff like that. So not like a huge breakfast, but, but also enough to where I had enough fat and, yeah, enough fat to, to keep me satiated so I'm not like diving in the into the water and, and starving. Right. So you didn't you didn't really take in more carbs for the race. You kind of kept it the same. Pretty much the same. Yeah. Maybe just a tiny bit more, but probably only because I was at the buffet and I was like, <laughs> all this stuff tastes so good. So I'm not a believer in in like carb loading at all. And especially if you're if you're kind of generally eating low carb and then you shove down a bunch of carbs like the morning then of the of the race then you're you're gonna feel it it's not gonna feel good yeah so I, I would i would say just stick with what you're used to if you start to change it up on the day of the race that's gonna be trouble and that's what i did i i was like i'm just gonna eat kind of a smaller version of what i usually eat for breakfast but make sure that you know i've got the the calories there and not don't overdo it and then i i drink coffee and i've actually taken time off of coffee. And I was like planning on, <laughs> I was planning on like actually quitting coffee up until the the race and then having like my coffee in the morning and then I have the, right. but that, that didn't work out. I actually was because um, traveling and everything. I just got, I started drinking coffee again. And then, so the morning of the race, I, had, I just had my one coffee with a little bit of butter in it, you know, like sort of a nice, sort of a bulletproof, yeah. but not as much butter. Right. I can only imagine what it would have felt like if you took off from having coffee for an extended period of time. And then you had, had like a Turkish coffee yeah. right before the race. Yeah, <laughs> You would have been amped. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It would have been like turbo jet. Yeah. That, those are like, um, they're like mud. They're like so thick and yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like a hot chocolate texture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would have been amazing. I bet. So with the swim to me, 73 degrees water temp would be pretty cold. Mm-hmm. I don't do well with cold, right? Yeah. I want my water temp to be more like 78. Did you practice any Wim Hof breathing beforehand or have you kept kind of steady with that? I know you were always interested in Wim Hof. Yeah. Did you include that in sort of a, sort of your training ritual or routine? Yeah. Great question. Great topic. Um, yeah. So I do the Wim Hof breathing every morning. I just do two rounds, sometimes three, if I really feel like motivated, but I do two rounds of the 30 to 40 breaths and where you exhale at the end and you hold your exhale and then as long as you can, and then you um, inhale and you hold that for like 30 seconds or something. I do that every morning. And, um, I think that just helps me sort of to start the day with oxygen flowing through my body and, that I'm, I'm used to doing that. There was one day when I was swimming in the Black Sea that the water temperature, for some reason, it dropped. I don't know, like overnight the temperature dropped. So I guess the water temperature dropped. So that day I did some 
like quick Wim Hof breaths before I got in the water. And that way I could kind of withstand the the temperature a little bit more. So yeah, the, for the, as far as the, the race 73, yeah, 70, 72, 73, something like that. I did. I actually did like right before I dove in the water, I did a couple of rounds of, of the Wim Hof breathing, but I don't think that level of temperature for me would have been, it could be an issue. Um, I think when it drops below about 70 Fahrenheit, that's when I start to get, if I'm in long enough, I start to like go a little bit numb. Like my, I can start feeling my hand. That's the first thing that goes like one of my hands will go mm-hmm. numb. And, um, but I think that that level, it wasn't, it really wasn't too bad. And the the temperature kind of varied in the race. So you'd get like a, you'd get like a wave of like warmer water and then you'd get a wave of cooler water. So I, you know, I think it was just about that level of like being tolerable, but the Alcatraz swim was like 50. Right. And that was insanely cold. And no matter what suit or not, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's ridiculously cold. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is just how your constitution, like how does your body deal with cold and heat? Because I was just traveling um, here in, in Europe with a friend and it's amazing how different he experiences temperatures. Like we walk outside and he's got sweat pouring down his face and I'm like, wow, it doesn't even feel cold or, or that warm to me. He's like, oh my God, it's so hot. And I'm like, yeah, I feel kind of fine. Like I'm not sweating at all. And so I think some of it is just kind of how your body is. It, it, everyone's a little bit right. different. And some people can withstand cold temperatures better. But the Wim Hof breathing, any cold water event, I think would, it would be a huge help. I mean, no question about it. Yeah, I think it also helps kind of keep you present as well. Like I, yeah. I'm doing it right to before the start of the race probably also adds to like almost a mindfulness aspect. Cause I do think of it as a, uh, a form of meditation Yeah, and I, I think it's smart to try to meditate before a race, especially just to kind of like hone in the focus, calm down the nerves and, and keep in mind what the objective of you participating this, in this event is, you know, for some people it might be to win. Right. But some other people might be to see the underside of a bridge. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I always want people to do some sort of like meditation before they do an event, uh, whether it's Wim Hof or if it's just visualization, but it's something that people should be doing on a regular basis. Basically for every hour you train physically, you should also spend a session, whatever, even if it's just 20 minutes of mental preparation. So that could be Wim Hof stuff, or it could just be meditation, uh, or visualization, right? And, and people seem to not really buy into the mental aspect of training and they only focus on the physical aspect of training, but mental is a huge component. And we kind of already touched on it when it came to overcoming some of the fears, overcoming maybe the water temp and the excitement of the race. And you are an experienced traveler, but I have to imagine there's anxiety about trying to find your way around a new place for this race and that you're trying to like know where to go and not necessarily speaking the language that you're in the country that you're in, you know, so there must've been some anxiety wrapped around that in general. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the funny thing with uh, Istanbul is I didn't really know that as I was where I was before, there was a pretty good amount of English spoken but um, in Istanbul, there's really not much. It's like, it's really hit or miss. I mean, there's usually like, if you go to a restaurant, there's usually one person on the staff that knows English or knows enough to, to take your order, but the entire rest of the staff doesn't know any English. 
So <laughs> I had this experience where I, I went into this is kind of off topic, but uh, I went into a, a, I went into a <laughs> restaurant and um, I was by myself and I I didn't know what to order, so I just pointed at something that looked good in the picture. So like I just want that, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I got that. And then he's like, to drink, and I said, uh, oh, how about water? And he's like, what? And he looked at me like I he had no idea what I just said. I'm like, uh, just water. Yeah, just just water is good. And he just he just look, kept looking at me like, I don't know, is that Coca-Cola? Or and I'm like, no, <laughs> nope, just water. And he's like, oh, I don't know. And, and, he, and he walked away. And then he comes back, you know, later with my with my meal. And he goes, um, to drink uh, uh, water? And I'm like, uh, yes, water. <laughs> like, so it was like that little tiny, you know, American accent thing, right? We just roll over teas and stuff. I was like, just, you know, way off. And, but he, then he got me a water. So I was happy. <laughs> so the lesson is enunciate. Yeah. Yeah. You got to enunciate. But yeah, I was, I was kind of struggling with a lot of the language stuff and not really knowing you know, like just kind of like walking to a place and going, okay, how do I say it right? And are they going to understand and all that? But yeah, I think the the Wim Hof stuff is, it's really changed my life quite a bit. I mean, I combine the Wim Hof with a lot of uh, philosophy mm-hmm. and just different things that I've read. And it's just been like, I, I don't meditate at all anymore. I used to meditate every day, but I don't meditate at all. And I feel I just do the Wim Hof thing. And if I need to read something, sometimes I'll, in the morning, I'll read something like that sort of centers me. But other than that, it's just, that's it. And like, I feel like nice. way, way better than I used to. Like no anxiety and I can, I feel like I can take on a lot more. And cool. so, yeah, I, I hi- highly recommend it. And I don't, I don't even know if Wim Hof, if they even talk about this aspect of it, but I, I feel like it's, it's, it's really part of the whole um, benefits that you get from it. Yeah, I think the first time I learned about Wim Hof was on the, I think it was on a Joe Rogan podcast. They briefly did touch on like, this has like a, a quieting mind effect as well, but it's not something they really focus on. They always focus on sort of the, uh, physical aspects of it as well. Yeah. So we need to wrap up. Uh, we try to keep the podcast at 30 minutes. I'm really bad at that though. <laughs> uh, Cause I could talk to you all day long. Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. Where can people kind of find you online so they can try to keep up with your antics and your adventures. <laughs> yeah. So for the health stuff, I have a, a new kind of project that I've, I've been working on for the last couple of months. It's called Nomad Health Coach. And it's just uh, health tips for anybody that wants to kind of take fitness from a psychological or mental mindset perspective, as opposed to you know, just the tips on eating and tips on exercise and things like that. And then I usually throw in some things for, with my travels in my email. So you can just go to nomadhealthcoach.com to find out and subscribe to me there. And then uh, my other site is tryswimcoach.com if you're looking for the swimming stuff and swimming help with triathlon or open water swimming. Cool. And I know you're on Twitter because I always try to elicit some response from you whenever you post. Because <laughs> I just want to post gifts to whatever you uh, post. <laughs> so what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, just at Try Swim Coach, and um, you can find us on Facebook as well. Same thing, uh, facebook.com slash Try Swim Coach, and we're on Instagram. I don't know if I left anything out, but that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just basically Google Try Swim Coach, you'll find them. Yeah. That's always my advice on, on the podcast. If you want to find anything out about Swimbox or things happening around Swimbox or Swim Out of the Box podcast, Google Swimbox or Google Swim Out of the Box podcast you'll find everything you want to know. So it's been 
always great talking to you. Uh, always a pleasure. And maybe we can follow up and, and do another one sometime soon. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate yeah. you having me on. And, um, you know, I think the, I love the, uh, the concept of your podcast and, you know, kind of how you're taking it on a casual level because we need more of that and less of the like formal stodgy kind of shows. Well, I'm very fortunate in that I think very technically, but my co-host, my lovely co-host, <laughs> my wife and life partner, business partner, Lissa, keeps it very uh, light. And I almost wish she was on this podcast with us because I'm sure she would have had a thousand questions <laughs> about what you ate in Turkey yeah. as she is the baked goods queen. Right. So <laughs> maybe that's for another podcast, but we'll, we'll get it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mention the baklava. That was the, Oh <laughs> God, insane. that sounds so good right yeah. now. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, keep in touch. We will talk again. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again. Sounds good. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Try Swim Coach podcast. If you like this show, consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes and we'll read it off on the next show. And to get the latest triathlon swimming tips, tricks, blogs, and podcasts, go to tryswimcoach.com. See you next time. Until then, befriend the water. <laughs>